Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Charles Thomas Studd, C.T. Studd. There he is. He was a talented England cricketer in the late 1800s. On the 29th of August, 1882, he was one of the last uh, batting pair against Australia at the Oval. England only had 10 runs, 10 runs to win the test. His colleague scored two and was bowled out, meaning that England lost to Australia for the first time ever on English soil. And it led to this infamous satirical obituary in the Sporting Times stating that English cricket had died, the body would be cremated and the ashes taken to Australia. The very beginning of the ashes rivalry. CT stood He was a man with um, serious talent. From a wealthy family, he was educated at Eton and at Cambridge. He had had a great future ahead of him. People genuinely expected greatness from this man. Even, Even the loss at that first Ashes, it wasn't going to get in the way of his bright future. But in February 1885, he walked away from all of that. He walked away from the fame, from the money, everything. Why? To give his life to telling the world about Jesus Christ. He first went and served with Hudson Taylor in China until he had to return uh, to England after serving in China for 15 years due to ill health, he had to return. And he then went on to spread the gospel through India, Um, and in Africa, and eventually he died in 1931 in Ibambi, in what was then Belgian Congo. C.T. Studd's life was poured out for Christ. All his talent, all his fame, all his wealth, all his potential, in human terms were wasted in order that the kingdom of God be advanced in the world. We're looking at Mark chapter 14 today in our series on Mark. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses. So let's read through those verses together. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that's Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany... In the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. 
She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This, this story is a really important story in the Bible. There is a version of this story in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all considered this particular story, this event, significant enough to be included in their accounts of the life of Christ. Why did they do that? Why is the story of this woman who, she's not even given a name in the book of Mark, why is it so important and what does it mean for us? Well, let's have a look at what actually happened and what the woman did. Here we've got Jesus and he's sharing a meal with some important people. He's in the home of Simon the leper. Um, there are numbers of people around. They are described as reclining at table. Might have looked a bit like this. Um, it was a Roman style of eating. The diners would... Uh, would lounge on couches or maybe possibly on the floor um, and they would be leaning on their left elbow, eating with their right hand. Um, there were probably lots of numbers of other people in the room. Some of them would have been serving, some of them would have been just watching, uh, getting a look at what was going on, listening in to the conversation and the teaching that might have been happening there. It's quite a formal type of meal. There are definite rules and there is definitely cultural etiquette around what happens when you're hosting a meal like this in your home. And then into the middle of all of this comes a woman. And in Mark's version, we hardly know anything else about her. That's it. A woman came. But what she does next, it definitely breaks with some of that social etiquette. The people who were dining with Jesus and the people who were looking on, they, they might have been quite astonished by what she did. Now, it, it wasn't entirely unusual for the host to anoint the honoured guest like this. But the fact that it, it appears that this woman just came in and does it, that is a little bit odd. And it wasn't really the done thing for a woman to uh, physically interact with a man in that way as well. So it is a little bit of an unusual event. Now, I am not very good at watching a certain kind of TV programme or movie. <laughs> Phil will tell you this because he particularly likes this type of comedy. Um, you know those ones where someone does something that is so off-kilter that it is painfully embarrassing? Um, I just, I cannot, I can't watch it. So um, some, anything like The Office or Meet the Parents or basically anything that's got Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler or Ricky Gervais in. I just cannot, I just can't watch it. I find it too uncomfortable uh, dealing with the embarrassment that I can see coming. And I think that if I'd have been at this meal, I might have felt a little bit like that. I might have been looking on with my hands over my eyes, thinking, oh my goodness, what is she doing? Is she seriously going to do that? She is just making such a fool of herself. This is so embarrassing. Because 
this woman, she broke this alabaster jar of extremely expensive perfume over Jesus. And it isn't just what she does. It isn't just the fact that she goes in there and she does this thing. It's, it's also what she uses that is shocking here. You see, this, this was an incredibly, incredibly costly and precious item. It was the kind of thing that would have been passed down in a family from generation to generation. And the people in the room, they knew the cost. They knew what this cost. More than 300 denarii is the amount that's quoted there. And that was roughly a year's wages. So let's, looking at a modern equivalent, you're talking about something that has the equivalent of the cost of around £24,000. That's crazy. £24,000. This single individual vial of perfume that the woman broke and poured over Jesus' head cost roughly the same amount of money that we as a church here at CCM gathered together and gave to the poor at our last Give Big. That is astonishing. It's more than an extravagant gesture. We need to not miss the value of this. The people who were there were genuinely shocked by that. And, and we should be shocked by it. It should make us stop and think about what has just happened. How highly did this woman regard Jesus to want to honour him in that way? How much must he have meant to her? How much was Jesus worth in this woman's eyes? The woman breaks this expensive jar of very expensive perfume. It is almost certainly the most precious thing that she owns. She pours it over Jesus and the whole room would literally have been filled with the aroma, the smell of her action. Nobody there missed what had happened. And some of the people there were quite critical of what she'd done. Why wasn't this money used for the poor? Could have been put to better use. What a waste. And Jesus, he responds to the criticism. And again, what, what he says seems a little bit odd at first glance. Because he says, the poor are always with you, but she has anointed me for my burial. You see, Jesus knows what's coming next. This event happens just days before Jesus' death. And it's a prophetic act. And this woman is anointing Jesus for his death, which is just days away. And whether she's aware of it or not, Jesus is very aware. Jesus knows. And he's not saying here that the poor are not important. In fact, we know, we know that Jesus and the apostles taught that we should be generous to the poor. We're told to put a high priority on caring for the poor and for those in need. So that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying it doesn't matter and we shouldn't give to the poor. What Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out that that is not the central thing. He's pointing out that only Jesus is the central thing. Everything else that we choose to do must, has to come out of our love and our devotion to him. Jesus is pointing out that the woman has chosen to do a wonderful thing, a beautiful thing. Why? Because she has seen his worth. John Piper says this, It is a beautiful thing when the affections and the love 
of the follower match the worth of Christ. This woman, she's recognised something that everyone else have missed. She's seen Jesus' worth. And her actions are in line with the worth of Jesus. She made a choice. She made a choice to give everything that she had to honour the one that she loved, to honour Jesus, her Messiah. Jesus was only going to be physically with them for a little while longer. And in in his eyes, the fact that the woman makes this choice, that she chose to honour him in this way, it demonstrated to Jesus that she had got her priorities right. He is first. What What would your response, what would my response have been in that situation? I think that, if we're honest, we'd all like to think that we would be the woman, wouldn't we? But the reality is, I think if we stop and we think about it, we might, we might all really have responded like the critical people around. Because it's easy to judge. When you give loads of money to the poor, you can see where it's going. You can see what the outcome is and you can feel good about that. But after this act, after this woman's act, what was there to show for that? There was nothing. There was nothing to show for it. The perfume, all the money, all the potential that there was there is literally a puddle on the floor mixed with the dust off the road. A mess for someone to clean up afterwards. And if we're honest, doesn't that grate a little bit to our natural senses? Isn't it easy to have sympathy with the criticisers? Because it does look like a waste. And it reminds me a little bit of another story in the book of Luke, in chapter 10, um, the story of Martha and Mary. Again, Jesus is in Bethany, and he's, uh, he's come to visit the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They've invited him into their home. And Martha, she's busy doing the things that are expected of a woman in that time. She's busy cooking the food and cleaning and washing the pots and pans and serving at the table and making sure that the guests are all catered for and cared for and looked after. But where was Mary? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him. And when Martha complains to Jesus that she's been left to do all the work, he replies by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. And some versions say Mary has chosen the better thing, which will not be taken away from her. It's a similar thing here. Do you see the the similarity there? I think that many of us have sympathy with Martha because it is a bit unfair, isn't it? Leaving her to do all the work. And we can have the same reaction that we have with the wasting of the perfume. In fact, I've heard people preach on this passage and people will say things like, we, we need both Marys and Marthas. They teach about getting the balance right often when people preach on that passage. And that might be true, but that is not what Jesus is saying here. And it can detract actually from the point that Jesus is making. And it's the same point that he's making about the alabaster jar. What is the most important thing? 
What is the one thing that is necessary? What is central? It's only him. It's only Jesus. And when we choose him, we choose the good portion. We choose the better thing. We choose the beautiful thing. You see, the point is that there's a contrast in both of these stories. It's the contrast between the actions of the woman and the reaction of those around her. And the contrast, not between Mary's choice and Martha's choice, but the contrast between Mary's choice and Martha's reaction to Mary's choice. And it's worth thinking about what our honest reactions are to these stories. Which side do we naturally fall on? Because that begins to shine a light on our own hearts, on how much we've recognised Jesus' worth. The different reactions show an important contrast. And it's a contrast that Mark doesn't want us to miss in the book of Mark. Because this is another one of those occasions where Mark uses that storytelling device that we've talked about at Kingsway before. We've seen him use it before. He wraps one story inside another story. Because you could read verses 1 and 2 and go straight through to verses 10 and 11. Like this. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Then... Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. See, it actually flows straight through. It follows straight through. But Mark, he adds in this section in the middle. He tucks in this bit about the woman with the alabaster jar. And as we've seen in previous weeks... This is a method of storytelling that was well known and used at the time, um, of high, a way of highlighting something, a way of showing that these things are linked, uh, that the same theme is at the heart of both of these things. Mark's highlighting the contrast here. These are literally two sides of the same coin. The woman, she sees the worth of Jesus. And she pours out, she wastes everything that she has to honour him in a way that's appropriate for his worth. And in contrast, we've got the chief priests and the scribes actively seeking a way to kill Jesus, being willing to pay someone to betray him. They haven't seen his worth. They just don't get it in the same way as the woman does. And then Judas, (laughs) Judas, He's totally, totally missed the worth of Jesus. Even after all the time that he's spent with him, he's willing to betray him for a bag of coins. Mark doesn't talk here about how much Judas received, but elsewhere it talks about 30 pieces of silver. And compared to the woman's jar of ointment, that's, it's nothing. It's a stark contrast between recognising who Jesus really is being willing to give everything, to honour that, to glorify him, to cause others to see and to smell how worthy he is, or missing it completely. We need to think about how that applies to us today. 
What does it look like for us to do the equivalent of what the woman did? What is the contrast in your life and in my life? Well, what are the things that we use our resources on? What do we pour ourselves out for? What are the things that might trump Jesus? What do we sometimes choose to do instead? Because when we can begin to identify these things, it starts to open up what we truly consider the worth of Jesus to be. You see, as human beings, our core values, they involuntarily define what we do. We don't even have to think about it. If something is of intrinsic worth to us, we don't have to question or think, we just act. For example, if I get a phone call saying that one of my kids has been in an accident, I drop whatever I am doing and I go to be there because they have a high worth to me. I have friends who live outside of the UK and if I get a phone call or an email to say they're going to be in the UK, I will drop what I'm doing and bend over backwards to try and get some time with these people because they are worth something to me. They have a high value. If we were to get a text message from Jesus saying, I'm going to be at such and such a place at 7pm on Tuesday, what would we drop to be there and to find him and to spend the time with him? It could mean all kinds of different things for each of us. It might mean something different. It It might actually look like CT stood. It might be walking away from something, walking away from a job or a sport to give yourself to something for the kingdom. It might be a financial sacrifice, a year's wages, for example. It might be shifting your priorities to allow your actions, your choices, the way that you spend your time, the things that you spend yourself on, really reflect the worth of Jesus in your life. It might It might simply mean really giving your all in worship as we come to worship, not worrying what others will think of you, lifting your hands, dancing, praying out to him what he means to you, singing your own spontaneous song during a worship time. It might look like that. It might be a relatively big thing. It might be taking time out of your job to go somewhere on mission. It might be moving house to plant a church. It might be choosing kingdom values in your workplace, integrity, truth, justice, even though you know you're not going to get the promotion if you choose those things. It might be more day-to-day things. It might be prioritising gathering on a Wednesday evening at a community group, setting aside one Saturday morning a month to do the School of Theology or the School of Ministry to get deeper into who God is and, and what that means. It might mean getting up a bit earlier on a Sunday morning and being here at 9.30 for the prayer meeting. It might mean volunteering for a food bank. could mean any number of things. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. But that's the kind of offering that Jesus wants. He wants us. He wants us to see his worth and for our affections and our love and our actions to match the worth of Christ. John Bloom puts it like this, Jesus wants you to waste your life like Mary wasted her perfume, for it is no true waste, it is true worship, 
a poured out life of love for Jesus that counts worldly gain as loss, displays how precious he really is. It preaches to a bewildered, disdainful world that Christ is gain and real waste is gaining the world's perfumes while losing one's soul in the process. We can hear phrases like pouring out your life for Christ and it sounds kind of glamorous and heroic, doesn't it, from the stage at a big conference. But as I look at the lives of people that I know and even in my own experience, pouring out your life for Christ doesn't always look amazing and heroic. It sometimes looks mundane and day-to-day. It often looks messy and painful. There's often tears and snot and pain involved when we do this. C.T. Studd, he died sharing the gospel in Africa, thousands of miles away from his wife and his children. Hudson Taylor lost a number of children and a wife to things like malaria and cholera as he spread the gospel through China. And even when it's not something as big as that, it is costly. It is costly to recognise Jesus' worth and to act accordingly. There's a price to it and it costs us. So here in Mark, this unnamed woman, she did a beautiful thing because she recognised the worth of Christ and she did the one thing that she felt truly reflected his worth. And this act was considered important enough to go in every single gospel. And even Jesus himself said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Because it's a beautiful thing when our affections, our love, our hearts and our actions are in line with the worth of Christ. We need to know how worthy Jesus is. We need to remind ourselves of his worth. See, if we don't know how much Jesus is worth, then we'll never be able to pour out our lives in a way that matches his worth. So the real question is, how much is Jesus worth to you? How much does he mean to you? It's important to remind ourselves just who he is, why he's worthy. This woman, she did this. She did it before Jesus had gone to the cross. She did it before he had died for her sin. Before he had done everything that's required to reconcile us to God. How much more should we recognise Jesus' worth and pour out an offering that's worthy of him? I don't know about you, but I want to honour and glorify Jesus by pouring out an an offering that is in line with his worth. I don't want to be someone who holds back. I don't want to be the person looking on and seeing it as a waste. I want to be like the woman. I want to be ready to give everything that I have to honour Jesus. And we're going to share communion together uh, just now. And that is an act of remembrance. It's an act of remembering who Jesus is, remembering what he's done. And then we're going to give some good time to actually worshipping him. So, Jamie, do you want to just jump up? While we're taking communion this morning, we're going to play a piece of video clip. Um, We're going to pass the the bread and the juice around. The way that we do it here, you probably all know by now, we take the bread... 
when the juice comes, dip it in. That's how we do it. But this is, it's a moment for us to stop and think. It's a moment for us to remind ourselves who Jesus is, to remind ourselves what he's done through his death and his resurrection. Now, some of you might have seen the clip that we're going to play before. Um, you might have seen it already another time. But I think that it help, it's going to help us as we share communion together, as we pre- prepare ourselves to worship him. Why, why don't you, as you watch this clip, allow your affections and your love for Jesus be stirred again um, as we do this simple, symbolic act of taking communion together and as we listen uh, to Dr. Lockridge as he reminds us of just who Jesus is.